Hello everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study. We're all about taking a look at the literal sense of scripture, and particularly the gospel reading for today's Mass. What was Jesus trying to communicate in the original context? What does the text mean when we let it speak on its own terms? And we try and do this in a rigorous Catholic academic way. So today we're going to look at two passages, Matthew 13 verses 1 to 9, and then verses 18 to 23. Now, this episode is going to be the same on two days this week. So the reason for that is the parable is given in Wednesday's lectionary reading. So Wednesday of week 16 in ordinary time, we get to hear the parable, verses 1 to 9. And then the parable is actually explained by Jesus later in the chapter. So in verses 18 to 23, which we hear on Friday of week 16, we get to hear Jesus' own explanation of the parable. So I've combined both of those together and we'll look at both of those at the same time, which means this episode is going to be exactly the same on Wednesday of week 16 in ordinary time and also Friday of week 16. So you might have already heard this episode depending on when you're, what day you're listening. So here's today's text, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9 and verses 18 to 23. Jesus left the house and sat by the lakeside, but such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat there. The people all stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. He said, Imagine a sower going out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell on the edge of the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on patches of rock, where they found little soil and sprang up straight away because there was no depth of earth. But as soon as the sun came up, they were scorched, and not having any roots, they withered away. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Others fell on rich soil and produced their crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Listen, anyone who has ears. Jesus said to his disciples, You are to hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom without understanding, the evil one comes and carries off what was sown in his heart. This is the man who received the seed on the edge of the path. The one who received it on patches of rock is the man who hears the word and welcomes it at once with joy. But he has no root in him. He does not last. Let some trial come or some persecution on account of the word, and he falls away at once. The one who received the seed in thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this world and the lure of riches choke the word, and so he produces nothing. And the one who received the seed in rich soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He is the one who yields a harvest and produces now a hundredfold, now sixty, now thirty. So here we are at the start of Matthew chapter 13, and that's often called the parables chapter of Matthew. So here Matthew has assembled seven kingdom parables. It's possible that Jesus spoke them all on the one day, as Matthew presents it here, or they could have been ones that he spoke at different times, but Matthew has assembled them and put them all in one chapter. Some of the parables we'll see in the coming days, as we look at Matthew 13, they only appear in the Gospel of Matthew, so there's going to be some ones in here that you won't hear all that often. But of course, today we have one that's very well known, the parable of the sower. 
Some scholars call Matthew chapter 13 the uh, the Sermon on the Sea. So you know how there's the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of like Sermon on the Sea. Now, we're going to look at parables, and this is where I think the science of exegesis becomes really focused and really useful. We need to do proper, solid exegesis on the parables. Many would say that parables have lots of hidden meanings, and you can make of parables, you know, draw lots of different meanings out of parables, and that is true to an extent. Jesus probably did deliberately choose parables that had multiple spiritual meanings, But still, it's generally the case, in fact, almost always the case, that when Jesus picks a parable, he has one specific literal meaning in mind. He means one specific thing. There's one thing he's trying to say about the kingdom of God to his audience. And that's what we want to get at in this podcast. We want to look at what is probably the literal sense of the text. What did Jesus mean? Now, we're lucky because for this parable, Jesus actually gives us the interpretation. He tells us what he means, though most of the time we don't get to hear that. So in verses 1 to 9, Jesus gives the parable of the sower, and that's read on Wednesday of week 16 in ordinary time. And then there's a gap where he talks about something else for verses 10 to 17. The disciples ask him about parables in general, and that discussion about parables is We hear that in the lectionary on Thursday of week 16 in ordinary time. And then he comes back to interpreting the parable of the sower in verses 18 to 23. And we hear that on Friday of week 16 in ordinary time. So today's episode is going to look at the Wednesday and the Friday. And there'll be a separate one for Thursday of week 16. This podcast is all about getting at the literal sense. And for parables... That means, what did Jesus intend when he gave that parable? And as I said, we're going to see that Jesus actually gave us the interpretation. So that's why we want to read the parable with the interpretation, rather than trying to just read the parable and then coming up with our own interpretation. So we start at verse 1. Jesus left the house. What it actually says there is, on that same day, Jesus went out of the house. So it's on the same day that he finished up at the end of chapter 12. So if we read the end of chapter 12, he was in the house in Capernaum speaking to the crowds, and that's when his relatives come and they want to speak to him. They're waiting outside the house in Capernaum. Now, it's significant that Matthew mentions this. He wants us, as his readers, to notice that this occurs on the same day. What else happened in chapter 12 on the same day? Well, he had the confrontation with the Pharisees in chapter 12, And many of the parables, as we'll see, continue this same theme of division. It says he sat by the lakeside, so he's sitting down, which is the common teaching position of a rabbi. Verse 2, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there. So there becomes so many people by the lakeside that he has to get out into a boat so that they don't um, press in too hard against him. And this boat would have been like a large canoe, and they've actually found a first century fishing boat in Israel that you can look at online if you'd like to, which is very similar to probably what what he would have sat on. And so he's sitting in the boat, and the people stood on the beach. Now, sound carries quite well over water, so when Jesus is speaking here on the boat, it's not just to get away from the crowd, it's also so that they can hear him better as he speaks over the crowd. There would have been thousands on the slope going down to the sea, and they could probably hear him speaking from the boat. Verse 3, he told them many things in parables. So what's a parable? Well, it's from the Greek parabole, and that basically means comparison. 
And when we look at the Thursday episode, which is a discussion about why does Jesus speak in parables, we'll look at this in more detail. There were some parables in the Old Testament, uh, but Jesus uses them in quite a specific way. They're basically a short, memorable story from daily life that confounds profound, conveys profound spiritual truth. In most of Jesus' parables, Jesus sets up some sort of familiar situation that everyone in the crowd would be familiar with, and then he basically says the kingdom of God is like this. So Jesus' hope is that by setting things up this way, people will understand a bit more about how the kingdom of God works by seeing kind of an analogy of how something similar works in everyday daily life. But of course, it's a bit more complicated than that. We can't just stop at saying it helps make the kingdom of God clearer because Jesus actually says that he chooses to speak in parables because he wants to make things less clear, which is quite surprising. And we'll see that when we look at the Thursday episode, which is uh, verses 10 to 17. We'll discuss more about the purpose of parables. Now, Jesus has done parables earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, but now Matthew here in verse 3 says he begins to speak to them at length in parables. So he gives the crowd rapid-fire parables, and that confuses the disciples. They wonder why he starts talking in parables, as we'll see when we look at verse 10. There's probably some parables that Jesus spoke that we don't get to hear, but Matthew just gives his audience the ones that he feels are most appropriate for his purpose, which is to show that Jesus is the Messiah. So he starts by saying this, Imagine a sower going out to sow. So we're talking here about a farmer planting seed. Remember he's speaking to the Jews in Galilee. He's by the Sea of Galilee, and they probably could have looked around and seen fields. And they probably could have seen farmers sowing seeds, just as Jesus is speaking. They live in quite an agricultural area. Now, when a farmer was sowing seed, the general strategy was to plant seed everywhere and then plow the ground. When he plants some on the path and then the rocky ground and the thorns, as we'll see, he's not being careless. He knows that some of his seed is not going to work, but his strategy is to scatter it everywhere and then plow it into the ground. He knows that some of it won't work and some of it will miss the mark, but he knows the strategy is the wider the space he can cover with the seeds, the more crop he's able to produce. And that's an interesting metaphor for the kingdom, isn't it? Also, this image of a sower sowing seed would also have been familiar from the Old Testament. There's a few times in the Old Testament where God is depicted as a sower. So you see that in Isaiah 55 and Jeremiah 31 and Hosea chapter 2. And in the Old Testament, the seed of the sower represents God's word that God hopes will produce an abundant crop. Interestingly, now in this parable, the seed is Jesus' own word, not God's word. It's actually kind of Jesus' word. So this could be a subtle reference to Jesus claiming to be God, perhaps, because certainly Matthew's readers would have recognized the similarity to uh, what God says about sowing seeds in the Old Testament. So that's an interesting thing we often miss here. Now, as we go on, verses 4 to 8, Jesus tells the parable, and we're all pretty familiar with the parable. So the seed gets spread into four places. So it falls on the edge of the path, and that's eaten by the birds, because it's quite visible, so easily accessible to the birds. Some of it falls on rocky ground, and Israel did have quite rocky volcanic rock that was not good for growing soil. And Jesus says, the seed on rocky ground finds little soil and sprang up straight away. It had no depth of earth, and when the sun came up, it was scorched, 
and not having any roots, it withered away. So in other words, the seed wasn't properly grounded. It wasn't in good soil. So it didn't last very long. Even though it did uh, spring up quickly, it doesn't last long. In verse 7, there's another group of seeds that are sown among thorns. So the thorns grow up and they choke it. And even though it has good soil and good roots, it produces no fruit. And then in verse 8, some seed falls on the good rich soil. It grows tall and strong. And as the parable says, it yields 30, 60 and 100 fold. Now, for a farmer working in ancient Galilee, 30 fold is an excellent harvest. That's great. And then 60 fold is awesome. You would only get that a couple of times in your career as a farmer. To get 100 fold would be miraculous. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? When Jesus says yielding a hundredfold, that's incredible. That can't be done by man alone. So already we have hints here that we're dealing here with the work of God. Now notice what the measure of success here is in this parable. How do we tell whether the seed was successful or not? Well, it's how much grain or fruit it produces. This is something people often miss. In order of uh, most productive seed to least productive... The most productive in the parable is the rich soil, obviously. Then the next most productive, interestingly, is the rocky ground, the seed that falls on rocky ground, because they produce fruit for a short time, which is interesting. It's just the fruit doesn't last. And then the next uh, most productive would be the thorns. So in a way, we could say it doesn't produce any fruit, even though it looked promising, as though it was going to produce fruit, it doesn't actually produce any And then lastly, those on the path, they don't even start the process of producing fruit at all. So that's interesting. Verse 9, Jesus finishes the parable by saying, Listen, anyone who has ears, or most uh, translations here say, He who has ears, let him hear. Basically means absorb into one's heart. That's what it means to hear. It means to really reflect on and meditate on. So Jesus here is signaling that what he's just said is important. He wants the crowd to go away and reflect on it, to think about their place in the kingdom and whether they really do understand the kingdom or not. When the crowd heard this parable, they don't get to hear the interpretation that we get to hear in a few verses time. So they would not have necessarily known straight away what he meant. The point was Jesus wants them to go away and think about the parable and think about what it means. And hopefully... It will force them to not be neutral. It will force them to be challenged and to make a decisive response and commit to the kingdom. So then we have the gap verse 10 to 17, which we look at Thursday in week six, in week 16, where the disciples ask Jesus about parables in general. And then we get to verse 18. So Jesus is still speaking to his disciples. He says, remember, he's just speaking to his 12 disciples. The crowds are gone now. You are to hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus perceives that they don't understand the parable and he wants to help them. He wants to make sure that they do understand the parable. He gives them the inside scoop and he tells them the meaning of the parable. And we're very thankful that he does that because now, thanks to Matthew writing it down, what he says, we get to hear what Jesus meant when he gave the parable, which we don't get to hear for most of the parables. So here's what he says is the meaning of the parable of the sower. Let's keep in mind, this is Jesus' own interpretation. In Mark's version, we get a bit more here. Jesus tells us a bit more about what each of the specific elements represents. So if you look at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, Jesus specifically says to the apostles here, 
the seed represents the word. And in fact, uh, Matthew calls this um, the message of the kingdom. So Matthew tells us this is specifically about the kingdom of God, the information that Jesus is providing about the kingdom of God. So that's the seed. The sower represents those spreading the message of the kingdom of God. So that's what Mark's version tells us. So we get the seed and the sower. Now, what might the roots mean? This is just my interpretation because Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what the roots are, but I think this is a decent interpretation. Roots, we can say, is something like intellectual understanding. So it's understanding the basics of the kingdom of God and what it costs. I think that's a decent understanding of what the roots would be, understanding what the kingdom of God is about and what it requires. And then fruit... I think we can reasonably say that means acting on the message of the kingdom and producing good works. Fruit is often a metaphor that Jesus uses for good works. So I think we can safely assume that's what fruit is here, producing good works in response to the kingdom. So I'll say those four elements again, and then we'll try them on for size here. So seed represents the word, the message of the kingdom of God. The sower represents those spreading the message of the kingdom. Roots is understanding the kingdom of God and what it costs and fruit is acting on the message of the kingdom and producing good works. So Jesus now tells the disciples uh, what that means in terms of each of the four kinds of seed. Who do the four types of seeds represent? So firstly, the seed that fell on path basically represents, and this is what Jesus says here, it's the people who hear the word, the message of the kingdom without understanding. And Mark's version actually says that Satan is involved here, that Satan immediately takes away the word from their heart so they don't perceive it at all. What does that mean for Satan to take away uh, the word from their heart? And Matthew's version calls it the evil one as well. It probably means something like they hear the message of the kingdom, but through fear or faulty human reasoning, they don't actually absorb the message of the kingdom at all. Now, that would certainly apply to the Pharisees, who so misunderstand him that they think his message is not from God at all. So they dismiss his message. And it could also apply to the towns that Jesus has been condemning in earlier chapters. Remember, he's been condemning these local Galilee towns because they see his works, but they do not repent. So that would be a reasonable approximation of the seed that falls on the path. You could also possibly think about who this might apply to in society today. Uh, Certainly, that would apply to people who hear the message of the gospel, but then dismiss it straight away. That would be the seed falling on the path. Verse 20, this is those on rocky ground. And this is a really interesting group. Jesus says, the rocky ground soil are people who welcome the kingdom with joy, but they have no root. So when the persecution arises because of the word, they fall away. Now, the Greek word there for fall away is scandalizomai. So it has this idea of completely getting rid of the faith, falling away from it and causing scandal. So notice what it says about the people in the rocky ground. It's people who do well at the start. They receive the message of the kingdom with joy, but they leave the kingdom when they're persecuted for it. Notice it's being persecuted on account of the word, not just tough times in life in general. You'll often hear sermons that make it sound like The rocky ground is people who struggle with life, so they give up on Christianity. It's not quite right. It's people who give up because they're persecuted for being a Christian or for being a part of the kingdom. 
And we know that there were many Christians in the time of Jesus who did this in the early years of the Jewish and Christian persecution. Many people did give up the faith when they were at the point of death so that they could uh, survive. Many were persecuted for their own families and they gave in. So that would be people in the rocky ground. Notice they did produce some good fruit, uh, but then they fall away. Verse 22, this is the thorny soil. It's people who hear the word, but the cares of the world, delight in riches and desire for other things, enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. What it actually says here in Greek is the deceit of riches. So there's strong echoes here of basically the world, the flesh and the devil is what gets to this group. So I think we can say these are people who understand the message of the kingdom. Notice they're specifically said to have roots here. Um, they, they do sort of take root in the soil, but other things choke them out. So they probably understand the kingdom, but they're more interested in other earthly things. So in the end, they produce no fruit. Who would this apply to? Well, we know that it probably applies very well to the rich young man. We'll see him later in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 19. Remember, the rich young man comes and says, what else do I have to do to get into the kingdom? Jesus says, give up your riches, and he won't do it. Um, That would probably apply to a lot of society today as well, who perhaps have a basic understanding of what Christianity is on about, although certainly not everyone has this, but they're more interested in other things. And then lastly, verse 23 is the seed that falls on rich soil. So that's those who receive the word and understand it. He is the one who yields a harvest and produces 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So those who meditate on the message of the kingdom and cooperate with God's grace, in other words, they act on Jesus' commandments. That's who the rich soil is. These are the ones who advance in the kingdom and to understand the meaning of the parables, which hopefully would be Jesus' apostles and other people in the crowd as well who go away and meditate on the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Through God's grace, he helps them produce fruit and progress further in the kingdom. Notice, though, that not everyone in the category produces the same amount of yield. So there's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So the expectation is not that Everyone in the kingdom produces exactly the same kind of fruit or even the same amount of fruit. Um, And that's an important teaching for the kingdom of God. It's possible to be in the kingdom, but not to produce as much fruit as someone else. And therefore, there's different levels of reward as well. And that's certainly part of Catholic teaching about cooperating with God's grace. So it's not that perfection is required to get into the kingdom, um, but perfection is an element that helps people progress further once they're already in the kingdom. We need to keep that in mind when we deal with Matthew's gospel. Notice that Jesus has only told this interpretation to his apostles. The crowd does not get to hear these last few verses where he's interpreted the parable for them. So the crowd, if they're to understand the meaning of the parable, they have to go away and meditate on it. Now, we're lucky because we're not in the crowd. We can we have access to uh, the interpretation that Jesus meant. We should still meditate on it, but we don't have to guess about the meaning of the interpretation. And we're quite privileged um, in that sense. But in the original context, those in the crowd who do meditate on it would be guided by God through his grace to find the meaning of the parable. But those in the crowd who couldn't be bothered going away and thinking about it would not have received any extra grace from God, they wouldn't find the meaning. And in that sense, they wouldn't progress further in the kingdom. It's interesting, isn't it? The dynamics of the parable and what Jesus expects them to do with it. 
We often don't hear it phrased in those terms. So in this sense, Jesus is able to impart information about the kingdom of God only to those who are worthy of it and who really think about it and cooperate with God, not to everyone. We're in a different position because the apostles and the gospel writers tell us directly what the meaning of many of the parables are. Not all of them, and that's why we still need to do exegesis, because there's some parables that we can't uh, get the full interpretation of, though we can get close. Um, But for the crowd, it's different. So overall, from the parable of the sower, Jesus' message to his original audience, the crowd, was for them to examine their response to the call of the kingdom of God and honestly evaluate what obstacles might be hindering them from bearing the abundant harvest that God desires of them. Now, let's turn to the Catechism. Where do we see the parable of the sower referenced? Well, it's referenced in a couple of places. Paragraph 546 is about parables in general, and we'll look at this paragraph specifically when we look at the Thursday of week 16. Um, But in that paragraph, it does mention um, good soil, bad soil as a metaphor that Jesus uses. Paragraph 29, there's a really interesting reference to it here early in the Catechism, and this is in the section about desire for God. It says, the intimate and vital bond of man to God can be forgotten, overlooked, or even explicitly rejected by man. Such attitudes can have different causes, revolt against evil in the world, religious ignorance or indifference, the cares and riches of this world, the scandal of bad example on the part of believers, currents of thought hostile to religion, finally, that attitude of sinful man which makes him hide from God out of fear and flee his call. Really important paragraph, and I actually think this early part of the Catechism is one of the most important, but and it needs more attention. We should learn the early part of the Catechism because it tells us how we can come to know God and why some people don't come to know God. This paragraph in particular lists several reasons why people don't ever come to know God, even though they could if they thought about it. Um, and it lists one of the reasons as the cares and riches of this world, which is referenced directly in the parable of the sower. So we'll leave it there for today. One of the most commonly known parables um, is the parable of the sower that we've looked at today, but I'm sure you agree that when you look at it with a bit more depth, there's a bit more going on here. If you think others would benefit from hearing this podcast, this episode where we dive into the parable of the sower, please share it with them subscribe on YouTube, and if you believe the ministry is worth supporting, then please take a look at the Patreon page, which is in the show notes. Help us do more things with this podcast. Help us spread the word more, uh, get more resources into people's hands, and you can get access to exclusive bonus episodes as well through the Patreon page. So please check it out if you haven't already. Thanks. We'll continue in the Gospel of Matthew tomorrow.